0: You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I am your host, Carmen Laverge um, What is encouragement and what encourages you or who encourages you? Who is your person of encouragement? Um, that person who walks alongside you in life, that person who provides support or confidence or hope. Um, we all need encouragement. And sometimes uh, we think of encouragement as sort of trying to get people to do something that they're not doing or stop doing something that they are doing. Um, but really, encouragement is to simply come alongside and and be, be present in a way that draws up courage in the other person. So when you think about being encouraged, who is it that when they come alongside, either in a conversation or by being physically present or even just reaching out to you and saying, hey, I'm praying for you today, who is it in your life that is a genuine encouragement, like your courage rises because you know they're with you and for you? Um, I mentioned at the end of the last hour, I mean, I was just making reference to the list of people in my family who are Um, educating their children in a variety of different ways because of all the choices now available to us. And I, as a part of that list, I mean, you know, my cousin Jennifer came to mind. And as, as she came to mind, I have to tell you, I was encouraged. I was encouraged. Like courage rose up within me. Good, spiritual, healthy, moral courage rose up within me when the Lord brought her to mind. And just knowing that she is on the front lines of ministry today in Togo, West Africa, Just knowing that she's ministering in a place where um, less than one percent of the population is Christian, just knowing that she is facing today um, as a as a widow who's barely 40, um, having lost her husband uh, in the last round of global uh, pandemic uh, when the Ebola virus uh, was an outbreak and um, and Todd was not air evacuated from Togo um, and, uh, and and he died. And she's raising four boys. I got to tell you, my cousin Jennifer, knowing that she's in the world, gives me moral courage. It gives me the kind of encouragement to be the kind of Christian that I know I'm called to be each and every day. So who is that person for you in your life? Who is your cousin of encouragement, your son of encouragement, your sister of encouragement, your brother of encouragement, your father of encouragement, your mother of encouragement? who are those people or who is that person who, when the Lord brings them to mind, you actually feel, you feel positive spiritual moral courage courage rise up within you. And then I want you today to reach out to that person and tell them so. All right, next up, I've got Peter Kapsner. Um, He and I are going to talk about Kobe Bryant, um, but we're really going to talk about um, the very thin place between life and death. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Is actually back in the studio today from his uh, globe-trotting adventure <laughs> in uh, in Scotland. Peter, welcome back!
1: Thanks, Carmen. Great to be back uh, off the plane uh, yesterday afternoon. Up early with you guys. Great to be here with you. And you know, in, in answer to your uh, thoughts about encouragement, too, I just have to say, obviously, my wife is first and foremost in my mind. Uh, my wife, Hallie, and the 25 years we've spent together. And when I get home. Uh, for the day, it's it's one of those places where I think part of feeling encouraged is you feel peaceful, right? I mean, you just feel mm. like all is well at that point. And, and she... You know, we have our ups and downs in marriages like everybody else does and stuff, but she's always been that place of sort of the all is well uh, sort of place. And if I can just uh, give a shout out to you for a second, uh, you know, you know, teasing is my love language, of course. And so our, our friendship uh, over these past couple of years um, in the back and forth and, and the things we've talked about in the kingdom and the things that we sort of care about, but maybe come at from different angles, but are united in that. Uh, it's been a really encouraging friendship. So thanks for what you do as well, Carmen.
0: Thank you, Peter. Um, I, I appreciate that very, very much. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, your wife and my husband, um, we are we are blessed and privileged to be walking in this life all the way home to the father's house with such wonderful people. For sure. I mean, I just it's yeah. Yep. Brothers and sisters in Christ first and yet so blessed to then also be walking in marriage with them. It's just it's it's just it's a genuine gift. I don't have any other word for it. It's no, a genuine gift.
1: Very, very well said. Absolutely.
0: Let's um let's talk about Kobe Bryant. You and I have not really uh talked about this since it occurred on Sunday. Yeah. You are not just a uh you know, you're not just a a waxer on about things theological. <laughs> you're also um a real fan of sports. You have been in the Lakers locker room, you have interviewed Kobe Bryant. Right. Um and so I, I just I, I really take us back to when sort of you heard this first. Um, and then walk us through uh, sort of how you've processed through that this week.
1: Yeah, it was quite, I think, like many people, right? It was such a shocking bit of news to get. I was sitting in a restaurant and actually celebrating my daughter Anna's 18th birthday in Scotland. And uh, we were out and then the news flash came across my phone. And it's one of those moments where you have to look at it and then look at it again and maybe sort of look at it a third time to make sure that what you're reading actually is <laughs> what happened. And, and it was kind of a stunning development and especially... Just given the 12 years that I've spent covering the NBA as a credentialed member of the Minnesota Timberwolves and having the chance to be in the locker room with the players and all of that. I think, you know, my, my shock of it was it pales in comparison to the shock that we're seeing and even the responses that we're seeing from NBA players and from media members who really do cover sort of the NBA on a national level. There's this sort of I don't know what to do with this. And, and I think that's because, Carmen. In, uh, in the limited, limited ways I have participated as part of the media with the NBA, uh, but still being on the inside of it, it's really a close-knit fraternity, and it's really a close-knit brotherhood that extends well beyond the basketball court. And, uh, and these players really do genuinely care about one another and are, and are involved in each other's lives. Outside of that, and I think it's something we don't talk about much when it comes to professional sports, but even being around baseball and football and some other uh, places as well, basketball is sort of uniquely that interwoven, intertwined group of people. And so it's been a really it it was shocking for me just because I've spent time in that community, but I can't even imagine how shocking it is. Uh, for the people that are doing it day in and day out. And, and it helps me understand why the Lakers and the Clippers immediately canceled their basketball game and LeBron is coming off the airplane in tears and can barely talk and and players just don't really know how to deal with it. And, and I think one more piece of that that I thought about is uh, where their relationships go beyond the basketball court really is into the social action in the community and over the last maybe 25 or so years, starting with Magic Johnson, who was really a trailblazer in this, he decided to leverage his fame and his fortune that he made as part of the Los Angeles Lakers and really turn back and give back to the impoverished communities from which he had come. And those communities primarily, and, and the NBA talks about this a lot, are filled with young African-American uh, boys and girls who historically really didn't have much of a way out of the proverbial hood to use the language of the 1980s other than maybe basketball. And what people like Magic Johnson have started and LeBron James and Kobe Bryant Uh, And many others have uh, continued is they're turning around and giving back uh, so that there's a variety of businesses being built and schools being built, uh, education centers. And so they really have this fraternity among them to do this really important, I think, social work. I, I admit I'm not a fan of LeBron James, but I can't help but step back and be a little bit in awe of what he's done for the community of Akron, for example. So this really had a pretty big impact that will go way beyond anything in basketball.
0: So, Peter, um, what, if anything, do you know about um, Kobe Bryant's faith? Um, I know that there are people talking about a redemptive narrative in his life. Um, what do you know about that?
1: Yeah. So that redemptive narrative, obviously, you know, the the really difficult allegations leveled against him uh, in the sort of the mid and early 2000s was that he had uh, a bout with infidelity and it was a really bad one. I mean, he he really failed his wife miserably. In the marriage. And, and the allegations went on, and it turned into sort of a he said, she said sort of story, which these so often unfortunately descend into, where she claimed that the infidelity was non consensual on her part and even gave some pretty graphic and difficult details about what happened. And Kobe Bryant basically denied all of that. And, and uh, he did say that the, the encounter happened, but he denied that it was non consensual. And he really went into a very, very dark place after that. And I remember there's one specific situation shortly after the allegations were leveled and his wife was – she threw all of his clothes out onto the street. Their marriage was completely and understandably in shambles. And he went out and had the worst first half of basketball that he had ever had in his career where he scored just one point in – that first half and he sort of took stock of himself at, at halftime in that game and came back and, and uh, really was sort of the first steps on the road to redemption and his redemption started with uh, basketball redemption where he just chose to focus on that to sort of get through it but it seemed to have extended into many other uh, areas of his life and You know, you and I are followers of the news, Carmen, and you can kind of read through the lines. You sort of learn how to do that when maybe a story is being sort of made up and when the story has a ring of authenticity to it. And and I think that's maybe where we can go next is that he really did seem to then... Return home to his roots within the Catholic Church, and that it was a very, very meaningful part of his life. To the extent that it really repaired his marriage. Uh, by all accounts, he's been an incredible. He was an incredible father figure for his four young girls. Uh, completely dedicated, he had a light in his eyes. He had a um, he had a smile that was genuine. And I think there's a lot there to pay attention to. That he went from the sort of the self-inflicted darkness of the own shambles that he created. And, uh, and he found his faith. And, and from that place, he really emerged a changed person.
0: I'm talking with Peter Kapsner. We were talking about, you know, the intersection of the headlines and our faith and life. Uh, we call this the Fifty Shades of Truth segment, and we will be right back. Hey! Okay, although I have um, great temptation right now, Peter, to simply read down a list of headlines, including that Popeye's Chicken has launched a clothing line um, and uh, and a headline. I got another one here. uh, And um, people lie in order that they might seem more honest. Genetically engineered moths have been released into the wild to fight other pests, and UPS is going to start test driving delivery vans, but nobody seems to know who's going to get the package out of the van when it gets to your house.
1: (laughs) All of those headlines are compelling, Carmen. I have to admit, if I could get a whole cage full of those moths and just let them out on on sort of the Asian (laughs) beetles that hit my house every fall, Uh, I would love that.
0: Right, I don't, I don't, yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. Okay, so those are headlines that we might talk about. Instead, we're gonna continue um, in the conversation that we're having about Kobe Bryant. I want to talk about legacy. I think there's oftentimes that we think about the professional legacy of an in- individual. His is obviously already all sealed up. His yeah. professional legacy is all sealed up. Um, I heard someone say something this week that I, uh, it, it created such a lump in my throat. I mean, I am rarely without a comeback. And in this particular moment, I was so deeply struck by what they said and how little they understood um, the gravity of uh, of what has happened um, that I couldn't speak to it. I can speak to it now. Hmm. Uh, what was said was his children, I mean, his children will never want for anything. Yeah. And as, you know, as a person who, I mean, my dad died when I was 15. He was 43. I can tell you, I have never wanted for anything in life as much as I want for my dad. Yeah. And he's got three girls who are going to, the, for the rest of their lives, they are going to want for their dad every day. Talk about the kind of legacy that we're building right now with our kids.
1: Yeah, gosh, Carmen, that's just it, isn't it? I mean, I, you, you said that very um, poignantly in terms of uh, death has a way of sort of stripping away those things that we think are going to matter that we must uh, leave behind. When I can't think of a day that my kids wouldn't say to me, Dad, we, we understand that you have to go to work. Uh, and that you're sort of maybe building a legacy with a business and teaching and those sorts of things. But you know what they care about? They care about whether or not they can play Monopoly with me that night. And they, and they care about whether or not I'm going to be uh, at some of their events, whether it's a piano concert. And even just as recent as a couple of days ago, my kids ended up in school over in Scotland for these five months or so. And I showed up just at their sort of um, post-semester going away party where the school said goodbye to them because they're all on their way home as of today. And my simple act of showing up for those 30 minutes in a very anonymous place with nobody knowing my name, nobody caring about what my career might be. You know what my kids talked about that night? They talked about how dad showed up uh, at, at school. That it, it, it put him over the moon for me to be there, and it was such a simple act. And so I think when we talk about legacy, Carmen, uh, it, it's one of those things we can we can sort of talk about and then maybe just sort of move on our, with our days and go go back to what seems to be important But what does it take for somebody like you, somebody like me, some of our listeners to actually make the active move to start reprioritizing our lives, to enter into the legacies of the kingdom and the things that matter within that economy and that scale versus the things of this world? Because as you said... Kobe's girls are, they, they won't, they, they will know of their dad through obviously all of the Googling that's going to happen and all of the stories that are told, but they won't have had time to just sit in their daddy's lap. They won't have had time uh, to spend in the basketball court with him and whatever else they might all do. And, and I was talking with my dad just last night on the way home from the airport after he picked me up and he said, You know, Pete, uh, and my dad's about 76 years old and he's translating the scriptures all throughout Africa right now. And he, and he just, he does that work day in and day out. He said, But the reality is that um, my name will be known at best to all the way through to my grandkids. And beyond that, uh, I will just be sort of a figure in a genealogical chart. And and we had a pretty extended conversation then from there about what it means to participate in kingdom economy, where our lives and our actions ripple out, whether or not people ever even know that it was our lives and actions that are doing the rippling, if that makes sense. It, It just... Things go into the dustbin of history so quickly. And even Kobe's uh, basketball legacy, uh, they ask people who Jerry West is now. And no, and Jerry West is a phenomenal NBA talent. And even the logo of the NBA is sort of patterned after his shadowed form. And yet people in this generation uh, of, of children don't have any idea who Jerry West is. But you know who's going to remember? It's going to be Kobe's kids and, and, and beyond that. So I think it's a really important conversation that this event can uh, maybe just not even be a conversation, but begin to change some of how we see the world and see our relationships and see our legacy.
0: You got me thinking there, um about just the power of showing up,
1: yeah,
0: and so maybe we could just encourage our listeners today on that particular point. Where today could you just show up? yeah, um, show up in somebody's text messages if you can't show up in person. Show up in somebody's email. Show up on somebody's voicemail. Um, show up at somebody's doorstep. Um, where could you show up today? Maybe you could show up at your kid's school for lunch. Mm. Maybe you could. Um, maybe you could show up in ways today that somebody just somebody just needs somebody to stand alongside them, um, not to advocate, but to simply be that person person of encouragement. It's it's encouraging to not stand all by ourselves alone.
1: Boy, you know, it is Carmen and with that too, I think when you when you do that, what you just so well described, to just show up like that, it sort of reduces how we tend to do our days with other people, which is almost always through the lens of uh, of transactional relationships, meaning I show up here because I have a talent or skill or something that I might get paid for, or, or I show up in another relationship just, because of yeah, something I, I get out see, of it.
0: I just feel like that was a wide open door.
1: You know, right? As opposed if you just show up and you're actually there for somebody. Right. If you just show up and just say, Hey, I actually like you and I want to be with you and I'm not here because I need something from you or because I have to be here or my resume is going to benefit somehow. Just simply showing up is one of the most kingdom things that we can possibly do in life because it just cuts through all of the false facades that we put up in front of each other and we start seeing each other as human beings.
0: I love that. Um, I also just maybe we should just also encourage people the places you're already going to be today. Yeah. All of those places are places where God intended for you to show up on his behalf. And so Consider each and every one of those places a place where um, you are showing up on behalf of God in the life of other people, even though that's maybe not the way you saw that appointment. It's a divine appointment that God has set. He has an intention for how you behave and act and speak and think um, and interact in each and every one of those moments. And so wherever it is that you're going today, as you go, as you go, be uh, a faithful uh, child of the king right? Like, yeah, this is about legacy building for someone other than ourselves. And he's the audience of one before whom we are each and all ultimately going to stand. So uh, maybe that'll be our walk off, Peter. You know, I love it. Kobe Bryant lived his life here before an audience of literally tens of millions. Ultimately, he's living the rest of his life, his eternal life before the audience of one. That's really the conversation each of us needs to have uh, today with the people we love best in the world. Yeah. Peter Kapsner, thanks so much for being with us t- again today. And hey, welcome back.
1: Yeah, thanks. I'm going to take your encouragement on that, Carmen. In about 35 minutes, I'm going to be standing in the classroom with the students. And and based on this com- conversation, literally, I'm just going to go show up and be present to the students. Looking forward to it.
0: Amen. Thanks, brother. We'll be right back. So when we, uh, when we consider all that is going on in the world, I know that the headlines related to the coronavirus... Um, And they leave us wondering not only what's the right response in terms of our own physical health and well-being and that of our children and those we love best in the world, but what is uh, the righteous response for nations like ours who have resources with which we could respond? Um, There is no better agency in all the world than uh, the United States Centers for Disease Control in terms of identifying these kinds of viruses and then developing ways to address them. And so what does that look like for us as a people to engage in a genuinely humanitarian effort um, when there is an outbreak like the coronavirus in China? Um, There are massive evacuations uh, underway. Uh, Major airlines have suspended service to China. Um, An increasing number of Chinese cities are under quarantine um, and people continue to die. And so as we talk about this, it gives us an opportunity to expand the conversation into other global health crises, those that actually kill the most people worldwide every year. So my next conversation partner is Mark Ligon, Um and he and I are going to talk about the coronavirus and also the global fight. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Joining me now uh, is well, I could call him Professor Mark Lagon. I could call him um, Ambassador. He has served as a government official in the Bush era. He is a professor. His day job is with the Global Fight um, against AIDS, Tuberculosis, and Malaria. You can find him at the globalfight.org. He's a specialist in global health and human rights. Mark, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen.
2: It's a delight being back.
0: So you and I um, have a mutual concern, and it's a concern that is shared by everybody listening right now, and that is something called the coronavirus. Um, let's just start with some of the latest stats, um, and then maybe how hysterically or non-hysterically I should be feeling.
2: Well, uh, in China, uh, a, a strain of something uh, that it is called zoonotic, something that come, goes from animals to people— has emerged. It's like SARS, it's like MERS, but coronavirus is something that can cause pneumonia, uh, severe respiratory problems, kidney failure, and and death. And there have been over 6,000 cases globally um, and uh, just short of that, uh, about 5,974 have been in China, um, about 70 outside of China. Currently 132 people have died, all in, all in China, but there are five cases that have popped up in the United States, and even a case in Germany where someone who hadn't traveled to China but somehow got it from someone who did, um, were hit by it. And the Chinese are scrambling um, in their own not so transparent and um, kind of autocratic way. They're you know, cordoning off certain uh, factories and provinces, Um, to try and contain the problem.
0: So virtually every major news outlet now has, you know, like a live update on their site. Um, So like right now, those live updates are scrolling things like U.S. evacuates its citizens, deaths mount, British Airways uh, cancels all flights. You know, there is, I'll just say that the way the news is reported on this, um, lead someone to believe, even like myself in Middle Tennessee, that this is a this is a coming threat. Sh- Help me get the gain a little perspective on, um, on how we ought to be feeling right now, and then we're going to talk about just how a pandemic actually functions if we're headed in that direction.
2: Well, I'll just say as a premise, you know, the um, scriptural teaching is that you know the, the Lord does not wish us to be anxious and fear is. Um, is due here, but not uh, panic. Um, This will hit us. And uh, to use a public policy expression, it's a health security threat. And our being ready at home and our work as a leader in the world, um, being poised to deal with emerging epidemics is really important. Um, It will come here, um, but there's hope. And one thing to start, to know is because of the heart of the United States taking on um, HIV when President Bush stood up the PEPFAR program to fight AIDS around the world, that was while antiretroviral drugs were being developed, the Chinese are actually working on a version of antiretrovirals in their initial response. Um, So the U.S. leadership in the past, driven by a heart uh, that we've had for the most vulnerable has helped create uh, a structure for, for responding. And what we need to do is, is more of that. We need to think about how the United States is a, is a leader on these. It saves our children and our families, um, but the most vulnerable p- around the world should not you know lose their ability to thrive and use their God's gifts um, as well as a priority.
0: So, Mark, I think because you um, have really great insight and understanding about how the United States actually is poised or prepared, what systems we do have in place, um, maybe what we could start with here is a, is a little assurance in terms of how that all works together. Um, and then after the break, I'd love to pivot to a conversation um, about how we what we do here and what we do for others abroad um, actually ultimately serves us all. So let's start with um, how the U.S. is poised to respond to the kinds of crises uh, that the coronavirus now presents.
2: Well, you know, we have some great strengths. You know, our country has some of the best research on, um, you know, drugs and treatment and um, where the government's involved uh, you know we can be skeptical of bureaucracies, but the centers for disease control is is really the best of our you know our country's doctors being ready to track problems and act on them. I think we need to be more um nimble um and so thinking about you know a global health security agenda. Um, that, you know, carries over um, from past administrations um, is important. We shouldn't, uh, you know, give that short shrift. Um, But I I, I do think um, the United States, um, you know, it has a capacity uh, to protect its citizens um, as long as it thinks the long game.
0: So um, just in terms of of how a person here in the United States let's just say you know there's something going around at school right right now that's probably just the flu um but I'm just aware that people do respond um sometimes kind of hysterically if somebody is sick what should they do
2: well i mean obviously you want to get medical um attention if someone has you know, the real signs of respiratory problems. Um, but I, I think, you know, there. it may get to the point where in certain places um, there'll be a suggestion of, of wearing masks. Um, I think the issue really would be more if you travel um, mm-hmm. and there will be advisories from um, the government about certain places. Washington state was a, a place where the first cases happened. Um, Just, you know, watch for those signs um, from the Centers for Disease Control and in the news um, that, you know, you're supposed to um, change your behavior. But, you know, don't keep your kids home from school. Um, Don't assume this is, you know, uh, rampant. Um, Five cases in the United States is nothing compared to, you know, the hundreds of thousands of cases of tuberculosis or... Other things in the world um, that get around. So we should keep things in perspective and, um, you know, don't be anxious. Uh, We're in his big hands.
0: Amen. Okay, so Mark, when we come back from the break, and this break will be brief, um, when we come back from the break, let's talk about some of these longstanding epidemics, AIDS, tuberculosis, and malaria, um, and how, as we in America have this capacity to um, help not only prevent, but then treat and address these issues globally, how that ultimately helps us at home. Like, we're going to have a conversation about that when we come back. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. My guest is Mark Lagon from theglobalfight.org, and you can check it out uh, during this very brief break. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Mark Ligon, uh, you can find him at theglobalfight.org. Um, let's let's talk about how the United States, um, which has a lot of ability to build capacity around the world in terms of the response to and prevention of um, some of these longstanding epidemics, AIDS, tuberculosis, and malaria specifically, how that actually then helps us here at home. Well, I'll
2: give a couple of examples. I mentioned before that the PEPFAR program started under President Bush and a bipartisan program, um, was a you know, military-style emergency program to help countries, particularly in Africa, save a generation uh, of childbearing and most economically productive people from being wiped out from AIDS. And that has helped build health systems in countries. Um, parallel to it, the United States has been part of a partnership Called the Global Fund to Fight AIDS, Tuberculosis, and M- Malaria. That's what mo- the nonprofit I'm with advocates for. That global fund, the United States generously gives to um, $1.56 billion a year, but that gets other countries to step up because it's required that they match everything we give at least two to one. And when um, the Global Fund has been helping in places like Liberia and Sierra Leone um, and elsewhere on AIDS, on malaria, on tuberculosis. Um, It helped during the Ebola crisis um, because they had systems um, to detect epidemics. So maybe it'd be wise for us to, to finish the job on something that the United States has been so generous on, which is fighting the biggest existing infectious diseases, HIV, TB, and malaria. Let's finish the job on those, and while we do, we'll create a capacity with drugs, health systems that we help countries step up to form themselves, and then things these health security threats that know no borders will not touch our children and families.
0: So there's a worldview conversation, Mark, that is – that I think influences this conversation and how people respond to what you just said uh, and how enthusiastic we are to help others elsewhere with problems that we do not perceive ourselves to be facing here at home. Um, We recently had this conversation about whether or not we as Americans approach things from what you just referred to, which is sort of this creedal identity – What's at the heart of being an American versus those who approach these these same conversations, but they do so from this much more tribal understanding of what it means to be american and so can you um, can you speak first sort of to the heart like right you're you're referring to the heart of America when you say that, what do you mean because I suspect you're operating out of this creedal understanding of what it means to be American, and then um, you and I are going to speak to those uh, who who think more out of a tribalist uh, understanding of what it means to be an American and see if we can um, tenderize a heart or two.
2: Um, I love that you put it that way. And um, I, I just, I, I, a lesson I and, um, learned, I'm a um, political scientist and I wrote about the Reagan era. And one thing I learned is that American interests and American ideals are not mutually exclusive, to to say something is humanitarian or giving or shows well for the United States has a heart doesn't mean it's not in our interest. And this is a a case where it abundantly is. We have helped save people in Africa and around the world um, and be prepared for epidemics. They have appreciated our, our leadership. They work you know in Africa, they're more likely to work with us than they are China, who's investing all over the continent if we do that, and if we prepare them to fight epidemics out there, then that's much less likely epidemics come home to us um so this and you know this is one of the times that investing in in something that works in government, not as opposed to all those things that don't work so well, makes sense. The research we do um the the, the 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 international global health things um so yes i have a creedal view about that but i think interests and our our moral standing are are tied together
0: so when you and i um consider a person halfway around the world who is born into poverty potentially under a political system that is very oppressive Um, without a lot of hope. I think the question is, do I see that person as like me because we are both equally created in the image of God, um, and I have access to information and resources that person does not, and therefore I am in a position to help, and I am therefore responsible because I am able to respond? Or do I see that person as well, so sorry they were born there, but I was born here, and um, and I have the advantages that come by being born here, and those are for me and my children. Um, and those people who were born in those other places, they're going to have to take care of themselves. That breaks my heart. That second view of the other breaks my heart. Um, And so tell us a story about somebody who lives, who is born into a place where without help that comes from the outside, they're not going to survive or thrive.
2: Well, I've become friendly with a young woman, Martha Clara Nakato, who came to the United States to advocate for fighting HIV, AIDS. Um, She regularly emails me, just emailed me um, yesterday. And, you know, she, her family members have been touched by HIV AIDS in Uganda. Now she's a mentor to young women for the U.S. PEPFAR program. And she's a spokesperson for the work of the Global Fund. Um, she's actually been, you know, she's living and she's been empowered to be a voice in, in Uganda um, to, to fight the diseases. And she wants to, she, she sees the generosity from the United States, but she wants to help extend these kind of programs to help other people uh, as well. Um, it's a very, you know, real human thing. It's not a um, it's not distant when you meet someone like this. Um, but I, I too am moved by, um, you know, the notion that, that, you know, we're taught by, by you know, Um, The Lord's teaching is that every human life is precious um, and of equal value. You can't say that one person is more valuable than another if they're all, um, you know, the Lord's creation. Um, We're connected. Uh, And in fact, if we help the, the, the most impoverished, the distant, the ones who don't look like us, your spouse, your child, you're actually serving the United States too, because you're preventing disease from coming here. You're giving people opportunity to grow. That appreciation um, will be reflected in, um, you know countries being more productive and, and you know, the things that we export from the United States being bought by living people with thriving jobs. Um, And so it's not just a matter of the heart, those people out there who people kind of consider, some people consider the other.
0: Mark, thank you, uh, as always, for being with us today. You guys can find Mark Lagon at theglobalfight.org. He plays a leadership role in developing and advancing friends and policy and advocacy work to support U.S. investment in global health, particularly through the Global Fund. Mark, again, thank you so much for being with us today on Mornings with Carmen
2: pleasure to join you and talk about these uh, heartrending rending things.
0: Thank you again. We'll be right back. What a joy to spend this portion of the day with you. I uh, want to encourage you to not only pay attention to the headline news, but bring the mind of Christ to bear. Like, right, what does it look like for us to walk our faith out into the world when people are sick, when they're afraid, when they are um, panicking about what may happen or what this may mean. I mean, you and I take not only a long view of of history, we take a long view um, of that which is like beyond the history that people are experiencing. And so help people reconnect the eternal with the everyday today. Um, Be the person who reflects on the much bigger picture, the really big picture, the gospel narrative that creates a narrative arc over all of human history. Um, as you walk your faith out into the world that God so loves, be encouraged. Be encouraged. I hope this show has been an encouragement to you today. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play music app. That way, you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at myfaithradio.com.